All right, welcome back, everybody. We're gonna we're uh, gonna crank out a podcast here for you, and this one's gonna be a little bit different than ones we've done in the past. Um, similar, I guess, in a lot of ways as far as how we're gonna build it out and how we're gonna put the information together for it. Just a new platform, and we've not talked a lot about it on the podcast. Um, quite honestly, we haven't talked about it a lot ever um, until more recently. Uh, Wonder Boy has been doing a, a really big push and a big effort towards it and i appreciate it greatly um he's doing a really nice job with it and that is the growth of our youtube channel and i know that for a lot of people out there youtube is nothing new um i i it i'm not gonna say it's new to me because i've known about it forever i just i guess i never really used it i didn't use it that much um i certainly didn't use it the way i see other people using it these days our kids these days use it a lot like our personal kids as well as friends of ours kids and it's almost become television for them in a lot of ways um i do i do think it's full of information um i think that's a great tool um and so we have tried to develop um, our dog bone hunter youtube channel um we've had it for a long time but we just didn't really use it and we've made a big push on I guess organizing it and creating more pieces that fit it specifically um, and, and allowing it to be uh, a more useful, I hate to use the word tool again, but it's it's really what it is. We have playlists on there. We, we are able to organize stuff a little bit better. Um, there's still kind of a mishmash of a lot of information on there. Um, but I think, so what we found is the more we've used it, um, the more we've it obviously it becomes a bit of an organic thing where people watch more of it. I think people tell people about it and I think that's great. And that's totally why we do it. It's why we do the podcast, but it also has become another channel for questions. And so, um, we have done a lot of podcasts here based off of YouTube or based off of Facebook and Instagram questions, DMS. Um, we've done a lot of them off of emails, um, there are just a million ways to communicate these days, whether it be phone, email, the different platforms that we've talked about. And then now I, I just think YouTube um, has earned the right to get a little bit of love as well. So we want to go through because this is another thing that we don't respond to YouTube as quickly as we do some of the other platforms. Um, but Ben will pin me down every so often and say, hey, we got a ton of YouTube questions. Let's sit down. A lot of times we're in the truck. Ben will read them to me. I'll answer them. Ben helps me by typing them out. I mean, it's just, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a really valuable way I think to share information. But um, we're going to incorporate it into the podcast here today. So I want to start out, and I'm literally not super organized with it. Uh, I click the little bell that is notifications, and isn't that what gives me it? Mm -hmm. So the bell is notifications. If you if you are not following us on YouTube, I would encourage it. Um, there's a way you can subscribe when you're there and then you can turn notifications on, which will allow you to select how you want to get the information. But as we put new videos out and all that stuff, it'll tell you. But for me, when I go into the page, I click on the little bell that's in the upper right hand corner and that is our notifications. And that will tell me when there's comments. Um, and I'll be honest, some of them aren't nice. <laughs> I'll read a few of them that aren't nice. Um, and I'll also be very honest with you and say, not everything we do is for everybody. And so I understand that. And I'll, we'll explain that a little bit as we go into this. But I'm going to start right at the top. 
Uh, so some of these are the freshest. This one came a couple hours ago. Um, just says great content. I took my dog to the vet yesterday with your adjustable leader and they loved it. They almost paid more attention to it than the dog. Um, for a group that sees literally thousands of different leash and collar combinations, that says a lot about your product. Keep up the good work and thanks for all you do. I only read that because I think a lot of people, I do think a lot of people that are even like listening to this on the podcast. So I got to kind of clear my mind and go, okay, well, how am I communicating with you right now? Because I spend a lot of time on Facebook and Instagram. I spend a lot of time with Ben just recording stuff, which are things that go to different places. And now I got to think, okay, so this is, now I'm talking about YouTube, but I'm actually talking verbally with our podcast. Although they all are very similar groups, and I think there's a lot of overlap, some are unique. Some people just listen to us on a podcast. And so I, I bring I read this one intentionally because I don't think a lot of people realize we have a website and we sell products. We sell the products that, we, that I've designed, developed. Um, it's stuff that we use. We're not going to offer stuff that we don't use. Um, we're not a general store. We're not a dog, you know, you want general dog training stuff, Gum Dog Supply is a great one. Um, you know, I've, we do business with them, but I also order stuff from them. You know, I go to Cabela's, I go to Bass Pro Shops, I go to Shields, I go to Fleet Farms, I go to different places like that and buy stuff that we don't sell. Um, but we also offer our own stuff. So we, that's a, you know, the adjustable leader is something that we've, we've taken lots of different ideas of things I've used over the years and I just customize it to fit best for what I do and the dogs that I'm training. And it's something that this guy, and I get that comment. I get a lot of people going, God, that adjustable leader is awesome. So it's available in two sizes. The, le the only difference is the size of the collar. And you look on the website and it'll show you like how I base it based on the size of the dog. So let's go back. Let's roll down. Here's one from someone that says, my dog is Sunny and is a Corgi Mini issue. Can she hunt? I don't know if that's a Corgi mini issue, if that's part of the breed or not. So my answer to that is hunting dogs are not breed specific, in my opinion. I do think that certain things about certain types of dogs make it easier for them to do certain things in the field. A Corgi mini may could very well be a nice tracking dog. You know, and I'm just shooting from the hip here without doing a lot of homework on your dog. I think that it may struggle in the uplands, quartering and casting. It's just a physical thing. You know, I, I know what a Corgi looks like. I'm assuming a Corgi Mini is just a small version. Um, short little legs, gonna have a hard time covering a lot of ground. But if you look at the United Blood Trackers, the, the Dachshund is a preferred dog. The wire-haired Dachshund is a preferred dog of those trackers. Um, little Jack Russell Terriers are phenomenal little tracking dogs. Not necessarily the dogs that we think of when we think of hunting dogs, but the reality is, is dogs are dogs. They're all canines. They all come from a similar background. It's just over centuries and long, long periods of time, we've kind of customized them to fit certain things um, well for us. So yeah, I think you can do it. I think you should be realistic with your expectations. And I think you should have an understanding that a lab isn't going to work like a Jack Russell. Uh, a shepherd isn't going to work like a lab. A hound isn't going to work like, uh, name another breed, a GSP. So there are, there are just differences in how they work, but in the end, can you do a lot of things with them? I do think so. Um, this is a question from James. He says, is it too late to train my lab? He's six months old. 
James, the day to, the time to start training your dog is today. And that that's whether it's six months old or six weeks old. Because if they're six months old, you're a lot better off than if they were six years old with no training. So I look I do look at it that way. But I also look at it and I say that six year old might have six years of habits that may have to be changed before I could start putting new stuff in. Now I'm not saying it's 100% bad habits. Maybe it's got some good habits too. But as a trainer, as the handler, you got to sort through that and be able to determine and decipher what is desirable, what is not. What is not, we have to change. What is, we have to enhance and bring out and, and, and put a little bit of gas on, if you will, to grow or fertilize to grow. So at six months old, you know, is is it too late to train them? Absolutely not. Six, six, I call them puppies until they're two years old. So he's very much a puppy. Usually around four months old, 16 weeks, is where I really like puppies. Because I think that's a point where physically and mentally they are ready to do a little bit more absorbing. The puppy stuff prior to that 16 week, yes, you can definitely shape behavior and you can create some really positive things. But I also think you have to be very careful because none of that stuff should be very formal. None of that stuff should have any pressure or very minimal pressure, if any. So I think that the uh, by the time they hit that four month, four to six months, let's say, that's when I think I personally really like it because I feel like we take bigger steps and bigger gains. And um, but that's not I don't paint anything or put anything in the box based on the age. Um, so yes, you can. It's not too late. But I would every day you wait is a little bit making your job a little bit harder, James. So I think you got to get on it. Um, this is one. This is this came from a, a gal named Lisa. Lisa has made a lot of really positive comments, which I appreciate on on a lot of our stuff. And so here's here's her her message. And each one of these messages are connected to different videos that we've put put out. So this is one that we did with a series called Puppy Training with Arrow. It was Arrow, um, a, a GSP Malinois Shepherd mix that we trained. And we put together quite a bit of training content with. This is from day, the video. The comment is based on video day one. Um, what are we at? We're at 10 minutes. So I'm going to limit. So we're going to go through this. This is going to be a podcast about YouTube and I'm going to just going to go through and I'm just going to keep knocking off YouTube questions. Um, we're going to do for 30 minutes. And so when we end, we end, uh, there, it'll be, there'll be a hard stop probably around 30 minutes and we're going to get as many in as we can, but let's, let's tackle this. So Lisa commented on the arrow day one puppy training video, which I think arrow is a series, right? Yes. That's under our playlist. So it says, hey, on the puppy training video that, no, so I should have read into it. She's made a comment on this puppy video of Arrow, but she's referencing our training video that we have out. We have a puppy training video out and we have a foundation video out there that is sequential. She says, on the puppy training video that I bought around one hour and seven minutes-ish, you have a black lab puppy that's staked out. You're wanting it to wait it out and not reward him by going back to him too soon. So until he settles, he's chewing, yipping, carrying on. My question to this is, what if you must be considerate of your neighbors? I live in an apartment complex. I won't be able to just let the pup yip and yip. My pup won't arrive until December, so she won't be here for another month and a half. I have thought about warning the neighbors ahead of time, but what you say, what you say is ideal and I love and agree with is all the training. I just don't have the luxury of allowing the pup to bark and bark. Now what? Question mark. 
Okay, going back to the video. I love what I bought. I love what I bought them and I'm happy I'm watching it ahead of time. I just am going to have to do something different when it comes to the vocal part. If you have suggestions, I'd be appreciative to hear it. So, great question. So she's referring to, let me give you a little idea what background on it. So I've got a puppy in the video that we're staking out. And we're staking it out, it's pretty young, it's about 12 weeks old. And we're staking it out, which is a stake in the ground with a short cable, and, the, and I leave the dog alone. And the dog is gonna fight that. And the idea of it is two things, it's gonna teach a dog to be patient and quiet. It's also gonna teach a dog to give the pressure to the neck, which is a nice lead-in to starting out with some heel work. Um, putting a dog on a lead and having them understand that when they feel pressure to their neck, they should move closer to me. That turns the pressure off. So they get out of position, I put pressure on them, they come back, I turn the pressure off. They, I don't wanna be at the end of that lead when they first discover this thing. I don't wanna be connected to it because it's not a very positive thing. And I don't wanna be connected to something negative with these young dogs. It is something that is necessary for the dog to learn on their own. And so by putting a stake in the ground, I don't care if the dog hates that stake in the ground. I don't care if the dog fights and struggles with the stake in the ground. The stake will never lose. The stake is cold. The stake doesn't have emotion. The stake is not getting upset. The stake doesn't get frustrated. The stake just is the stake and the dog fights it until the dog realizes I can't win. And by turning off, by stopping fighting it, all of a sudden it feels better. My neck doesn't, isn't sore when I don't pull. So I let the dog figure that out. It's the one beauty of a dog is they learn to, they will learn to give to pressure. But if you're standing there on the other end of it, your level of patience might be short. Your temper might get involved. You might be talking to the dog. You move. You do things that get in the way. You screw it up. So don't be on the other end of the stake. So that's the process that she's referring to in that video. And I show it. And yes, they get real vocal. Some of them. Some of them don't make a peep. Some of them are very vocal and fight it. Some will fight for an hour. Some will fight for five minutes. It all depends on the dog and the personality of the dog. And so in the scenario that she's talking about, I don't think they fought that long, but it was verbal. And I do recommend you talk to your neighbors because if you don't, they're gonna think you're torturing the dog. Some of these dogs sound like you're literally torturing them. They scream and they whine and they yip and they bark. So yes, I think that is a good way of doing it. I think you explain to them the process of what you're doing and why you're doing it. If that isn't an option, I think you, re you find yourself a spot that it is. I know it might be inconvenient, um, but I'll tell you what, I trained a dog, a really nice dog um, early on, and I lived in town, and I wouldn't have been able to do that either. I was in a neighborhood with a bunch of old people, and they would have called the cops on me likely. So instead, what I would do is I would get in the truck, I'd put the dog in the kennel, and I would drive 15, 20 minutes to an industrial park. And I would park there and that's where I did a lot of my training. And so something like this, you know, it's an industrial park, meaning like not full of buildings and stuff. It's a lot of open, vacant lots. Uh, it actually was really nice because there was a lot of drainages and ditches and waterways and there were geese around there. And there's all these really good things from a training perspective for a hunting dog to prepare um, in. And it was 15, 20 minutes, which was, it's all based on your perception. For me, that was relatively convenient. Like I thought that was beautiful to have that within 15, 20 minutes of my house. For some people, they would say that is a terrible inconvenience. You gotta drive 15 minutes? It's all based on your perspective. So 
I look at it and I go, I would find a place that you can do this. Now, don't go to the dog park to do this because one of the keys of this process is start out in a very low distraction area. I don't want to put this dog through murder, make this dog sit through something that is just terribly, terribly tempting and ask them to be quiet. They're going to scream bloody murder. So I want to have it be quiet and, and rather untempting and undistracting. So a nice quiet little spot in the shade because you're going to want, you can't do it when it's too hot and you got to be concerned with the weather and that kind of stuff. But so I would, I would have a backup plan, Lisa, a spot where you might be able to go and do this. You know, I think you have to try it to find out. You may be really lucky. I've had dogs that don't whine at all. I've had dogs that you tie them out, they pull a couple times and they go, ooh, that kind of hurt. And then they get closer to the stake and they realize that doesn't hurt at all. I think I'll just stay here. And they lay down and fall asleep. And so that might be what it takes for the dog to learn to give it the pressure of the neck. It might mean you see a dog run 500 times in a row and choke itself and trip itself and flip itself over onto its back before it realizes I'm not going to win this battle. They will give in. And so once they give in, then they, then they fight it less and less and less every time. They settle in a lot quicker. They're a lot quieter. Um, I know a place that, uh, a kennel that trains a lot of dogs and they have an entire woods that are filled with dogs that are tied out. And you can tell the ones that are new to it because they're rambunctious, they're boisterous, they're vocal. But, you know, as you move through the woods there and there's all these other dogs that are tied out, there's a bunch of them that are real quiet. They've been there, they've been doing it longer. And they've realized that that whining, barking and crying doesn't get them what they want. They don't get off because of it. Um, so it is a process and you've watched that chapter in the video, so you understand that. But I think you need to, I need, you need to set yourself up with a couple different options and then try it. There's no one, there's no way to know how it's going to go without trying it. We've got another brand, um, our company does, it's called Hodig. It's this lick, it's called the licking stick, the licking branch. We have these, they're scent communication products for deer. And I have way too many people that message and want exact instructions on how to do it. And if it doesn't work the exact same way that I told them to do it, they say the product doesn't work. I'm very, very quick to remind people there's no set rules and stuff like that. You may have to experiment. You know what that takes? It takes work. Now, Lisa, I don't think for a second you're not willing to put the work in because the amount of videos you've watched and commented and, and we've bounced back and forth on, you're willing to put the work in. You're willing to put the effort in. I can see that. So the reminder is not the idea of don't be afraid to work. The reminder is don't be afraid to be patient. Don't be afraid to try something. Don't be afraid to try something else if the first thing doesn't work. Um, it just, that's what it takes. And so I think dog training is that in a lot of ways. Um, we do something, if it works good, build off of it. If it doesn't work good, take a step back and reverse engineer it. Why didn't it work good? What can you change to make it happen? Okay, so this is one that I wanna read because I do think it's a, it's a really, it's an, empower, it's an important one. We've got a video out there that we've got about stopping a dog from pulling on lead. It happened to be a, filmed at a workshop, one of the workshops that um, we hold in the spring and a, a friend, he became a friend of ours, him and his wife, came to the workshop at first I didn't know them they came they brought their dog their dog really struggled to do heel work he pulled a lot he pulled to the point that he just would breathe heavy and gag so I ended up coming over and I said Kyle you mind if I t 
take the lead. He said, nope. I gave the dog a real firm correction to the point that it startled the dog and the dog made a verbal yip. And I've watched this video a hundred times because the amount of comments that I've gotten on it, negative comments on it, have forced me to watch it again because I went, I better double check and see what the hell are these people so worked up about. Now, there's been an equally good amount of comments about it of, you know, this worked really good for me. So I'm not going to get into the video itself, but I am going to read this comment. And the comment is, not a chance in hell would I allow you to touch my dog. What happened to positive training? Here's, here's my response to that. And I'll probably let them know that we did it in a, what we commented in a podcast on it. But here's the thing. Everything we do, everything I do with a dog is not for everybody. I'll, I'll be the first person to say it. And, but I also want to say this. There's nothing that we have on our YouTube channel that I don't stand behind. Now, are there things that I've done in some of our series that hindsight, I look at it and I go, I wish I would have handled this a little bit differently. There are tons of that. And that's why I do it. And that's why we film it the way we film it. That's why we do it live with zero editing in all these series. We don't do any editing. I show you the frustrations. I show you the good stuff. I show you the bad stuff. I think you get the value. I think a lot of people get more value out of seeing me make mistakes and how I deal with it or make adjustments to it than when I show you things that go really well. Because when things go really well, it doesn't necessarily help a lot of people. Because if you're having a hard time and your dog's not doing that, what good does it do for you to see my dog do it really well and it look really fancy and nice? I just don't see the value in it. Now, but I'm going to tell this person, Cassie Andrew, Cassie Andrew, go to a different YouTube page. Like, watch, this is free and this is something that you chose to watch. So if it bothers you, there are some other ones that got downright nasty on this one, um, threatened me to call humane societies or, or civil service type stuff. I said, do it. Do it. But here's the thing. If it's bothering some people that much, it's very simple. And this is a this is a life lesson for us, not just on our YouTube channel. This is for anybody listening that things are really bothering you on a social platform that you continually find yourself watching. Unsubscribe, click away, and scroll on and watch something else. Because not everything is for everybody. And I understand that and I respect that. I don't hold it against you if you don't like what you see on our page, but I'm tired of dealing with some of these real jerk-like comments. Like, just go away. Like, that's what I tell Ben. I just want to tell some of these people to go away. I realize that, you know, it's not for everybody. So, Kazzy, there's not a chance in hell you'd let me touch your dog. I respect that. Um, I would go to another channel and I would watch it and I would make positive comments about theirs. That's, that's what I think we need more of. Support the stuff you like. Don't spend a lot of time and effort on stuff you don't. Um, so here's another one. Let's see. Rob Roney commented, have you had luck doing these techniques with older dogs? This is, I think, a hold conditioning video. Mm -hmm. I have two four-year-old Britneys that water retrieve for me, but do not like retrieving on land. Hoping to hear this technique is... Uh, hoping to hear this technique is possible with older dogs but wanted to ask you first and so he's referring to the idea of hold conditioning and absolutely yeah i i think hold conditioning is a process that really doesn't it's a formal process that 
that it doesn't necessarily start and end with hold conditioning. Hold conditioning is just part of it. I really think you start shaping a lot of that behavior before you do the formal process. But yeah, I, I, I think we do it because we get to a point in training where the issues with the delivery become, they take away from the overall experience of the retrieve and in the effectiveness of the retrieve. So it's, it's symptoms that create the need for it symptoms that get in the way to the point where we go, we just have to fix this. So we stop all retrieving, we polish it, we fix it, we, f we do it long enough that it becomes the desired habit of delivery. And then we work our way slowly back into retrieve. And if it shows up again, all of a sudden, we recognize we didn't do a good enough job of forming the habit strong enough. And so we just go back and start, and, and start wherever the spot is that we need to start and work our way through it again so yeah you can do it um the thing you have to keep in mind is that at four years old you've got four years of habits so you're gonna have to go cold turkey on those bad habits i wouldn't be retrieving with the dogs until i get it fixed so that might mean you don't retrieve for a couple months if that's what it takes it might take weeks but it probably takes longer than that and so you have to be able to make that commitment. And that goes for anyone, whether it's an old dog, young dog. Um, now, when it, just to touch on hold conditioning, because there are tons of hold conditioning um, videos out there. This is, happens to be one that he watched in the Bella Be Good series. It's episode 87. I don't know. Hold conditioning is probably 15, 20 episodes during Bella because that's how long it took us. Um, but I would say hold conditioning, there's an hour-long formal video. There is a, there's a bunch of them. Um, there, I don't know if it's a playlist or not of hold conditioning. We talked about that. We've got yeah. so much. We have some that we haven't even posted from years ago when I did hold conditioning with the dog. Um, literally set a cell phone up and self-filmed it. Um, ben has filmed quite quite a few different dogs that we did hold conditioning with. And they're all a little bit different. So none, no two are the same. So I think you got to keep that in mind. Um, but yeah, you can do it. Um, now, there's another one here. And we've actually commented on it. Um, the question is, so when you say hold is, a, is to communicate to the dog that they need to look at you with both correct posture and correct dummy bird dowel in the mouth position. And the answer is yes, it's just formalizing the delivery. You know, it's, it's polishing up the delivery. Hold doesn't teach dogs to retrieve. I think that's a misconception. Hold is a lot of times, you know, instead of hold, a lot of people think force fetch. I don't force fetch dogs. I don't see a need for it. Um, it's a different topic, but the idea is hold conditioning helps me polish the delivery. It doesn't teach a dog to retrieve. So that's part, that's stuff that we need to be doing ahead of time um, to get to this point. Now, another question. TJ Stevens said, how do you handle when a dog constantly yawns while you're going through this process? It's a hold conditioning. It's again, it's a hold conditioning one. Are we coming up on 30 minutes, man? Good, man. Okay, so this will be the last one. Um, he said, so he's another, it's a different Bella episode, but he references it during the whole conditioning. And he says, how do you handle the dog that yawns constantly while you're doing this process? He holds for good periods of time, but sometimes will yawn when I am making him take the dowel. It doesn't matter what time of day it is either. My question is, do you get on them when they start to yawn or just let it happen? I don't know if there's any reason to get on them. You know, what, what is bothering you? Um, TJ about it like if the dog is yawning I think they're telling you something um, some might say it's stress it all depends on the scenario I don't think you're 
I'm assuming the dog's not real stressed. Um, if it is, it's your fault, you know, so you got to create, it, this shouldn't be, this whole process shouldn't be a negative thing. This whole process should be pretty positive. It, it can be, it's boring. So I think a lot of times we as handlers look at it not so enjoyable, but it shouldn't necessarily be negative. I, it's not forcing, we're not putting pain on the dog. We're not for, we're not pinching ears. We're not pinching toes. We're not doing any of the force fetch stuff. I would rather have it be somewhat of a bonding thing. I actually think when we get done with hold conditioning, a lot of times I feel tighter connected to the dog. Um, if we did it right, they should be looking to us and really giving us what are their eyes. So I do think it's a, I think it's a process that you can come away from having a lot better relationship with your dog. So the first thing I, the, the thing I read into this, and again, it's just reading, reading text. So I don't know exactly what you mean by it. But when I say, do you get, get on them when they start to yawn? I don't know why you would. To me, get on them is like, put pressure on them? Absolutely not. Like I'd go, why are they yawning? Uh, is in, what is, so I think I'd analyze the reasoning first. Um, if the dog is tired, the dog is tired. If the dog is bored, make it a little more exciting. You know, I always tell people balance is important. If a dog goes too slow, I speed up. If a dog goes too fast, I slow down. Like that's that's the that's the real black and white clear-cut example of pace. I dictate the pace as the trainer. If they're flat, speed up. If they're too so antsy and they can't keep their feet together, slow down. So you know, the, the idea is if the dog is bored with what you're doing, spice it up a little. Figure out. A, there is no, like, if you're watching the YouTube series with Bella and you're doing it the exact same way that Bella did it, you're probably off because no two dogs are Bella. Like, Bella's one dog. Bella, I had to do a little different than I did um, Spry. That's another one that we did live. You can see that one. You totally see that one. That was totally different. That one we did different than Taylor. That one we did different than Ellie. I'm just naming the dogs we have right now. You could go back to Jet. You could go back to Tito. You could go back to Cody. You could go back. To, just the list goes on. They, they all are a little different. And it was all dictated. My moves were all dictated by the dog. And so if your mentality is, I do it this way and every dog fits it, you're going to run into a lot of issues and you're going to be um, probably in the big, in the grand scheme of things, a little disappointed because the dogs don't have to fit arch. It's like telling a teacher, you have to teach every kid the exact same. That's not the best way to get the most out of the most kids. So we have to realize that we have to make adjustments accordingly. So sounds like somebody's here. We're at 30 minutes. That's a YouTube one. So we're going to knock that one out. Um, that's our session for our podcast here for this episode. We will continue to do these. I appreciate all the support. Please do me a favor. Like it, rate it, um, and share it with someone that you think it might be helpful for. Thanks again for all your support.